Hi, this is Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, host of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. I want to serve you. This pandemic has been so hard on America's small businesses and on just America in general. If you're ready to start your dream business, boy, do I have a great offer for you. I am giving away 1,000 copies of my best-selling book, Become Your Own Boss in 12 Months. Over 100,000 people have this book. It has been printed in multiple languages around the world, and I wanted to find a way to serve America's small businesses in this pandemic. And so I'm giving away a thousand copies of my book. All you have to do to get your copy is head over to beginmybiz.com slash free offer to, you know, sign up for your copy. All you have to do is pay shipping and we will mail one out to you. I am so excited about this. I want to serve you. Grab your copy today. Ending small business failure. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with the number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson. Melinda's goal is to end small business failure, and she'll give you the information you need to succeed and live the life you dream of. Now, here's the small biz lady herself, Melinda Emerson. Hi, I'm Melinda Emerson, small biz lady, America's number one small business expert, and I would like to welcome you to the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Today's show is all about developing tighter cash flow management in 2021. We're also going to be talking about the art of selling a business. And have you ever wanted to become a celebrity doctor? Well, if you do, I've got the lady you want to talk to here with us tonight. It's really all about if you're looking for new ways to conserve cash in your business, we've got some great insights. If you've been thinking about whether or not now is the time for you to sell your business, going to talk about it. And if you are a physician interested in creating a niche practice and becoming a media expert, I have lined up some amazing experts today who are going to discuss how to make 2021 a great year in your business. The Small Biz Chat podcast really is a peer-to-peer interview show that gives small business owners a way to get invaluable business insights. The mission of Small Biz Chat is to end small business failure. Our goal with Small Biz Chat is to give small business owners an opportunity to hear sage advice from multiple angles to take your small business to the next level. Today's guest, John Ruillo, and he is the founder of the Value Builder System, a simple software for building the value of a company used by thousands of businesses worldwide. He's also the host of Built to Sell Radio and the author of several best-selling books, including Built to Sell, Creating a Business That Can Thrive Without You, The Automatic Customer, and his latest book that was just released. I'm so excited to show it to you, The Art of Selling a Business, Winning Strategies, and Secret Hacks for Exiting on Top. I love it. John, it's been so many years since we've spoken, but welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Welcome. How come you don't age a year and I look 10 years older since the last talk to you? Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back. You're very sweet. You're very sweet. Well, listen, I know we're going to get to talking about your new book, but I, I got to take you in your way back time machine here. We got to talk about Built to Sell. I know you published that book, gosh, in what was it 2011? So it was like almost 10 years yeah. ago. 
but that's how I first met you. That's how long we've been, right. we've been at this thing, right? And that book was really big and it, it changed a lot of people's perspectives about how to build a service business. Because I think sometimes when you're building a service business, it ends up being all you. And so you were really good. And, and what I liked about your book is that it was unique because it had a parable in it. It really, it, it told a story through telling stories. And I really appreciated it because honestly, it made me think differently even about my own company. So tell me a little bit about how you started writing, you know, books in this genre about, you know, built to sell automatic customer and now the art of selling a business. It, it's a trilogy, right? The, all of these books. It is. And it goes back to the day that someone told me my service business was ugly. I remember the day to this day was I was in a, an M&A professional's office. Guy's name is Perry. And I thought I would want to sell my company to whoever would buy it. And at the time I was working with very large enterprise organizations. We had big companies like American Express and JP Morgan Chase were clients of ours. And I thought, oh, somebody's going to want to buy my client list. And Perry said, let me ask you a couple of questions. I said, but what do you think it's worth? And he said, hold on, but you know, let me ask you a couple of questions. Number one, who does the research? You're a market research company, right? You must have someone doing the research. And I said, yeah, we've got researchers, but I'm, I'm still involved in, in doing the research. And then he said, okay, who does the selling? And I said, well, you know, I'm, in, I'm involved a little bit in the selling. And he said, okay, let me get to say, you got a, a market research business, you're doing the selling and you're doing the research. And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and he said, look, I can't sell your company. And it was like being told, you know, like your, your baby's the ugliest in the maternity ward, right? And, and it was really shocking for me. This goes back 20 years, but I took that lesson that he shared with me and, and made it my goal to really make it a sellable company, changed the business model, made it a subscription company, and ultimately it was acquired by a public company years later. But that story of being in Perry's office, being made to feel like a little child that I was kind of chasing the wrong thing stuck with me. And it inspired me to write Built to Sell all those years ago. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So then you wrote, what, what was the second book? The Automatic Customer. So so give me like, I don't know, the cliff note explanation of automatic customer. And then I swear we will get to the art of selling. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Happy to go wherever you want. You know, Built to Sell was about how do you create a valuable company? The one thing that makes a company even more valuable than making it not be reliant on you is recurring revenue, right? So that revenue, like subscription-based or contract-based revenue that a, an acquirer can look at that will continue on. And so a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, SaaS companies, is that what he's talking about? Or software companies? And not at all. I think any company can do it. I'm, I'm reminded of the guys behind H. Bloom. They started a flower company. And you know, flower stores are the most seasonal transactional companies out there. But the guys from H. Bloom said, how do we remake this into a subscription company? And they realized that there were organizations, in fact, hotels and restaurants bought flowers regularly, right? Unlike most of us who buy them on Mother's Day and Valentine's Day, they bought flowers like every two weeks. And they said, well, what if we kind of created a subscription for flowers? All the hotels and restaurants would have us fulfill their flower needs every two weeks. Long story short, they built H Bloom, which is a fantastic company. The average lifetime value of an H Bloom subscriber is more than $4,000. Compare that with you know, somebody who walks into a retail store. So it's a business model I think can work for just about any business. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Automatic customer subscription sales, recurring revenue. And now we've got to the art of selling your business. Okay. So tell us what is the gist of this book about? 
Well, look, I, you know, I've been doing Built to Sell Radio, which you mentioned in the intro now for five years, right? I've interviewed a different entrepreneur every week for five years. And what I've come to learn is that there is a small group of my guests who seem to punch well above their weight when it comes to selling their business. I mean, the, these guys are getting multiples of revenue when they sell, not multiples of EBITDA or multiples of profit. Oh, wow. And it got me just trying to kind of curious about like, what are they doing differently? And I started re-listening to all the past tapes of these epic exits and, and realized there was a way they were going about approaching the negotiation. And it was more art than science. And that's why the book's called The Art of Selling Your Business. And it's about how do you punch above your weight when it comes time to sell? All right. So let's get into some of this content. So what is the secret to a happy exit? <laughs> well, look, the book is full of negotiation tips and tricks, but the secret to a happy exit has nothing to do with negotiation. It has everything to do with figuring out your pull factors. So most of us as entrepreneurs, we have push factors, right? You've talked about them. Elliot mentioned them. This, you know, red tape, tax, employees, they all frustrate us, right? And those are the things that make us want to sell a company. But the most successful exits are more pull right? They're, they're where you've got things you're excited to go do, another business you want to start, in your case, like another book you want to write, right? Those are pull factors, right? And, and I think the best successful exits are one with lots of pull. I'm reminded of one of the guys I interviewed for the show. This guy's name is Sean Oshman, built a, an IT services company in Denver, Colorado. By the age of 39, he said, by 40, I want to live my life on a sailboat. He lives in Denver, right? So what are you going to do? He's got to sell his company. And he figures he'll go, you know, sell it, gets two to three times. He figures it's worth around two times profit, gets an offer of around two times profit, sells his company. And I said to him on his show, I said, like, two times profit's like not a huge win. It's not a big exit. It's not like massive money. And he said, yeah, but you're missing the point. I said, what's that? He said, I'm living on a sailboat. And <laughs> because he had enough money to buy the boat and it always stuck, stuck with me as as you know, we think about the, the, the job of selling a company is all about maximizing the value. And trust me, I'm, I'm all about that. But in his case, and it was a good lesson that the most successful, happiest people are often ones that are just not leaving something behind. They're going to something. And I always remember Sean for, uh, I'm grateful to Sean for telling me that, that lesson. That, that's a really interesting point. So how do you, what do you need to know before you start thinking about selling your business? Look, I think the most important thing for you to do is figure out who your natural strategic acquirers are. A strategic acquirer is someone whom your business is worth more in their hands than it is in your hands. Let me give you an example. There's a woman named Stephanie Breedlove I, I, I wrote about in the book. She built a wonderful little company, $9 million payroll company. She had a niche where she focused on helping parents pay their nannies. That's all that she did, payroll for parents who had a nanny. Well, she looked out in the landscape and figured out who out, who's out there that would want to buy my company. And she realized there's a business called care.com. Care.com, yeah. as you know, plug in your zip code, it'll tell you who the babysitters are in your, in your neighborhood. And Care at the time had 7 million subscribers, 7 million parents who had nannies to pay. And so Breedlove goes, look, I've got a $9 million business with 10,000 customers. If 1% of your 7 million subscribers buys my payroll service, that's a business seven times the size. Long sure. story short, Breedlove sells her $9 million business for 54 
million dollars, six times revenue, which is, you know, it doesn't make sense on paper. No valuation consultant would ever have valued it that high. But what that does is miss the point. For care, it was a very valuable acquisition. So again, the, the trick to this is to figure out who else in the in the landscape would would your business be worth more in their hands than it is in yours. Got it. Got it. So I think that is brilliant, by the way. And I'm a I'm a user of care.com back in the day when my son was a little smaller. So I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. So tell me a little bit though. I, I you know. COVID has done a couple of different things to the small business market. I mean, first of all, it's wiped out a good 40% of the small businesses that were out here, but it's also pushed people to think about selling or push people to try to save their business through selling. And so I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what selling trends have you seen, you know, in this, in this sort of like pandemic era and see what you, you know, thought about that. Yeah, we actually just did some research on this topic. So you mentioned value builder. We have small business owners when they go in, they complete a questionnaire, tell, ask, you know, asking about their company. And we took the eight months of people that completed the questionnaire in advance of the COVID pandemic being announced. It's about 5,000 business owners. And then the subsequent eight months. So during the pandemic, March till the end of last year. And as I say this, I'm mindful that we're still in the pandemic, but I pulled the data and we analyzed pre-COVID and during COVID. Two big things pop. Number one is the proportion of business owners that plan to pass their business to their kids has dropped through the floor. It's now around 10%. It makes sense, right? I mean, this pandemic has been brutal and nobody wants to pass on their albatross to their kids, right? So the proportion that want to sell to their kids or pass the business to the kids has dropped dramatically. And in lieu of that, the proportion that want to sell externally to a third party has gone up dramatically. It's now almost 60%. The second big finding from the research was that the sell-by date for most small business owners has been moved forward 20%, meaning small business owners want to sell much sooner. So I agree with Elliot. I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting 2021 and a lot of small businesses are going to sell. And so I think that's, that's something to look for this year. So what kind of team do you need around you? Okay. I've raised my hand. I'm ready to sell my business. Who, like, do I need a lawyer? Do I need a broker? Like, like wh- wh- who do I need around me if I think I'm going to, if I think I'm ready to do this? Yeah, you need an intermediary. And if it's a small business, that's a business broker. If it's a larger business, it's an M&A professional. I'm a huge believer. I, I remember a story I had with uh, on Built to Sell Radio, a guy named Arik Levy. He sold a company called Laundry Locker and he tried to do it himself. And unfortunately, he accepted a relatively low offer, which got retraded on, meaning that the buyer kind of lowered the price on, 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 on later as we're, they were negotiating. And in fact, got him to finance part of the sale on that business. Oh Arik learned from that. And next time, his second business, Luxor One, he got an M&A professional. Long story short, the M&A professional got five offers for his company. And then get this through a process of playing one offer off the next, got the offers up 300%, meaning a threefold increase just by playing one off the other. And so I always remember that story from Arik Levy because it reminds me of trying to do it yourself and the downside of that versus getting a professional, someone who knows what they're doing. And in this case, they literally tripled the offer. Now that's not going to happen for everybody, but it will... I think, pay for themselves in in creating competitive tension. Uh, so I think you need an M&A professional. 
you remind me of a story that I once I once had the opportunity to talk to Famous Dave of Famous Dave's, and he told me a very similar story that he sold his company to you know he sold Famous Dave's to a company that then franchised it, and you know he kind of did it himself with a lawyer, and and really, you know he did not end up with what he should have had. And, you know, you, you really do have to get the right people around you, but you also have to vet your own people because I've heard stories of entrepreneurs who got a lawyer and the lawyer for the other side knew that lawyer and they didn't represent you as aggressively as they should because they were helping their friend across the table and then got a kickback somewhere else down the line. I mean, there's all kinds of salacious stuff that goes on in, in deals, right? And I know that you, yeah. you say that the one of the things you really have to watch out for is sort of like the evil tricks that, that Fortune 500 giants can do or private equity firms can do when they're trying to purchase a business from a, an, an inexperienced owner. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff to look out when you're dealing with oh, that man. kind of part? Yeah, I devoted a whole section of the book to all the slimy, sleazy tricks, you know, private equity companies and, and corporate buyers try to pull over on entrepreneurs because as entrepreneurs, you know, we get tons of time to build a marketing plan, hire employees. We learn all about running a small business, but very little opportunities to sell it. And so they take advantage of that, that naivete. Look, one of the big questions that you're going to get when you go to sell your company is, well, what do you want for it, right? It's a fair question, right? Like you're selling a car, you're selling a house, like what do you want for it? The danger of answering that question is you put a ceiling onto which you will ever sell your company for, right? It's the old expression in negotiation, he who answers or she who says their price first will lose. And I'm reminded of one of the, one of the folks I've interviewed for, for the show was a guy named Chris Jones, who built a company called Pepper Jam, affiliate marketing business. And they got a, he got a call from a guy named Michael Rubin. Michael Rubin is like a tech luminary, billionaire, you know, unicorn guy. And Jones thinks he's going to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with this guy, Michael Rubin, a nice chat. Jones walks in and Rubin says, okay, what do you want for Pepper Jam? And instead of being on his own, Ruben is flanked by his chief financial officer and his head of corporate development. And he says it again, what do you want for your company? And Chris, like not expecting this at all, is kind of on his back foot and blurts out a number. And Ruben says to his chief financial officer, okay, I think we can get a deal done. And what Jones told me was that I probably put a, a ceiling on the, the value of my company there because I just wasn't expecting that question. Right. So look, I think if you get the question, what do you want for your company? You're in no requirement to say anything. You can just simply say, look, I'm a reasonable person. I'll, I'll review any reasonable offer you think you'd like to make and, and, and let <laughs> them make the first them. Put it back on them. I love exactly. it. Like exactly. you're not going to box me into a corner, buddy. Tell me what you want for it. It's funny because I'm, I'm starting to get a lot of offers for my URL. When I created SucceedIsYourOwnBoss.com, that's why I never named my business MelindaEmerson.com. I, I, I named it SucceedIsYourOwnBoss.com on purpose, you know, 13, 14 years ago, because I knew one day I would sell it. Now, I'm not trying to sell it anytime soon, but I find it interesting that I'm starting to get emails, offers, people asking me 
are you interested in selling your URL? And I'm and I'm just sort of sort of like, well, what are you interested in paying? <laughs> you know, just just to see what the market is out Absolutely. there because you know I do have an active URL that gets a huge amount of traffic. I have an extremely low Alexa score, you know, so I know what I have is value. And I also have like I don't know five thousand articles about how to start and grow a successful small business on it as well. So there's lots of different types of assets within one asset. But I know what you mean about just, you know, thinking about it. Cause honestly, when I started getting the emails, I had never even thought about it. What, what would I, you know, if I ever sold it, what would I sell it for? So I, I think it's important the advice that you just gave and I really want to get more, but I got to take a commercial break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking with John about even more tips about the art of selling a small business. You are watching small biz chat live and we will be right back. In terms of efficiency, platform speed is excellent. To have access to some financial tools like plastic is really helpful. We've got to go procure our ingredients. We've got to get them organic certified. We produce the corrugate, cardboard, the packaging, manufacturers. We've got to do a trial run, production run. And we've got to start paying people fast. And we need to pay them with cash or a wire. And plastic comes in and fills that void for us. We're back right now with my guest, John Barrillo, the author of The Art of Selling Your Business. And now we're going to talk about the biggest mistakes to avoid when selling a business. So John, break it down for us. What, what is like one of your biggies? You, you already just told us one about not setting the ceiling for yourself, but what, I know there's plenty others. So what are some of the other things we need to watch out for? Oh man. I mean, look, the best time to sell a business is when someone's buying it. And I think the danger we, and one of the big mistakes we make is we play a little bit too hard to get. So I'll give you an example. I, I had a guy on the, on the show called Rand Fishkin and Rand built a great company called Moz, that software business. They built to $5 million in revenue and software companies are really highly valued. And he got it in his head. It was worth four times revenue. So in his mind, it's a pretty, it's a pretty attractive asset and he's going growing at about 100% a year. So while he's at 5 million today, he's expecting to be at 10 million next year. So in his mind, he's like 10 million revenue. It's worth four times revenue. It's worth 40 million bucks. He gets a call from a guy named Brian Halligan who started HubSpot. And he says, look, I see what you're doing at SEO Moz. Why don't we have a conversation? And Halligan offers him five times his existing year's revenue or $25 million of cash and HubSpot stock. And Fishkin says, well, you know, I was thinking more like 40. And Halligan says, no, I'm not paying for the future. I'm paying for the company you built today. I'm offering 25. Fishkin says, can't do it. Fishkin instead raises venture capital and goes out and, and starts a number of different products. Unfortunately, most of them aren't as, as successful as he was hoping. And the company starts to bleed cash. And in fact, it's so desperate that the venture capitalists remove Rand from the, from the CEO spot. Wow. And I interviewed him after the fact. And I said, what, you know, what was that like? I mean, what happened to your share? Do you still own? And he said, you know what, because of the way the venture capitalists you know, invested, they use something called preferred shares. Preferred shares means that they get their guaranteed re return before he sees anything as a common shareholder. And so I said, well, what's, what's your stock worth these days? And he said, it's probably not worth anything because they've held it for so long that they're going to get all of their return before I see anything. And then I said to Rand, okay, so what would that offer have been worth that you got from Halligan based on the appreciation of HubSpot stock? 
They said it'd be worth close to $200 million. I tell you that story for two reasons. Number one, preferred shares are a way a lot of investors try to effectively get your company and ensure they are going to get their return. And oftentimes that's going to undermine your return. Number two, again, the best time to sell your company is when someone's buying. And if someone like a, a Brian Halligan shows up with a check, it's, good time, it's a good time to pay attention. Oh, yeah. No, he should have taken that money and ran for sure. For sure. For sure. All right. So- He's got a great book by the book. You've got to you've got to get his book. Rand wrote a book called Lost and Founder. And he tells the story in the book. So do get the book. It's a beautiful book. And he's done a great job with it. Somebody just emailed me about that book, actually. So I was thinking get about getting the book and maybe getting him on. So thank you for that tip. I'll follow up with that. All right. Yeah. So how can you position your business to get acquired by somebody? Man, positioning, again, it's all the art of selling. It's all about how do you position it? And what you want to do is make sure you look like something someone was going to want to buy. So what you're going to look at is look the acquirers in your space and see what kind of businesses they're buying. There's a lot of private equity groups right now, for example, rolling up certain industries. So you're going to want to look like something others want to buy. I'm reminded of a story from the guys from Embanet. So Embanet was in the business of helping universities and colleges put their courses online. They were like a graphic design, web design shop. And they got an offer for their company. Early days, they got an offer of three times profit, which is kind of an average offer, not a very sexy offer, but it was, you know, it's a good offer. And the guys behind the company, Feldberg and Wells are their names. They said, you know, we want to do better. We want to get a better valuation. And so they choose, they chose to reposition their company from just a website development shop to being part of the burgeoning e-learning industry, right? Because they were working with these universities to help put their content online. So they started to remake their website and their whole entire marketing message went from being a graphic design shop to a a development shop to a e-learning organization. Two and a half years later, they got an offer of 13 times EBITDA. The way you position your company and talk about it in the marketplace has a huge impact on its value. I love it. I love it. All right. So last piece of advice for somebody that wants to sell their company. What is one more thing you want them to know? Man, you look, I think the most important thing to ensure you punch above your weight is to have multiple offers, right? And there's three types of buyers. Small businesses are generally bought by individual investors, Medium-sized businesses are often bought by private equity groups, in particular these days. And then larger businesses often get the attention of a strategic acquirer like Stephanie Breedlove and Care.com. What you want to do is not turn yourself off to any one of those three acquirers because what you really want is multiple offers. With multiple offers, it allows you to be in the driver's seat, you to dictate your terms. And so I'd, I'd just remain open to all three types of buyers, get more than one offer, and then play the game that Arik Levy played so well and you know, ginning the offers up by playing one off the other. I love it. I love it. What is your favorite podcast, John Marillo? Yours. And I... <laughs> I actually like the New York Times, the daily. I get most of my information from the daily. Love that show. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, John, what is your favorite business app? I'm going to give you a weird one, Strava. And here's why. I follow on Strava, the fitness app, some of the entrepreneurs that I interact with. And I think it gives us a, a different platform to connect with that is somewhat unsuspecting. Okay. I've never heard like of that it. one. So you're teaching me something tonight here. <laughs> Strap. I'm here for you, okay. Amanda. <laughs> All right, John, what's your favorite old school marketing tip? 
Man, I love taking a book and highlighting something in the book, like with a sticky note and writing, you know, I thought of you, page 14 really reminded of you. And, and it's the tailoring of the page in the book. Nobody has time to read a whole book, but if you actually tailor it, I find that that makes an impression. All right, last question, you guys. Favorite business book you've ever read? Yeah, Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. It that is a, a wonderful book. book if you haven't read it. That was an absolutely, absolutely great book. All right, Catrice, what's your favorite business book? Thank you so much for being my guest on smallbizchattonight.com. All right, everybody, I am Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, and I always appreciate you for coming and joining us for the Small Biz Chat Podcast. If you want more information on how to start or grow your small business, refer to my blog at succeedasyourownboss.com. I'm Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, your host. And until next time, remember that you never lose in business. Either you win or you learn. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Melinda Emerson. For more resources and small business success strategies, visit succeedasyourownboss.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday.